0: audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. Last year, I want to do a little bit of uh, housekeeping before we get into our text this morning. Last year, we actually, it was actually a year and a half ago, we spent a good chunk of time in the book of Genesis. We actually started this series a year and a half ago. And, and what we did is, is we, we dove into the beginning chapters all the way up to uh, the man named Abram, which we're going to pick up on today. And I want to make you aware of this, that all of the sermons we've ever preached here at Stone Oak Bible Church are recorded and they're available for you. And I want to encourage you, if you have a free moment, to, to take a listen. To take a listen, they're all available on our website and they're all organized for you by book and by scripture. They're easy to find. And the reason I encourage you to do this is because I know the beginning of Genesis is probably one of the most popular portions of scripture for anyone. We looked, for example, Genesis 1 and 2 when God created all things out of nothing, God created. We talked about the Imago day, how he created man and woman in his image we talked about Genesis 3 in the fall, where for the first time, sin enters into humanity, enters into the world. We then walk through chapter 4, which is Cain and Abel, which the interesting thing here is it takes literally one generation, one page, one chapter for the sin of eating a fruit to go to the sin of cold-blooded murder of a brother. We move from there to trace the story of Noah, Genesis 2 Uh, chapters 6 through 9, where sin was just ravaging humanity. But here's the beauty, the beautiful part of this, is that God still had a plan. And he makes it so clear as it begins to unfold. And then we finished our time last year in Genesis 11, where we looked at the Tower of Babel, where people were spread all over the face of the earth. But again, this is going to be on repeat. God has a plan He has a purpose, and it will not be stopped. And this is where it begins. Now, uh, one more thing before we dive in. So, we say this a lot, and it needs to be said as we step into Genesis. The Bible is one grand and beautiful, big story. It's one grand and wonderful story, and so often we can read it, and fall into the temptation of looking for human heroes. We can read it and we, we look at it as a collection of stories, which with some human heroes that we, we want to try to emulate our, our lives, some role models that we try to emulate our lives after. However, that's a disappointing way to read Scripture as we are going to continue to find as our story unfolds. And and Jesus was so clear, don't you do that. Jesus says, he reminds us of this grand story, that it's not a story that centers itself on any human, any human effort to get to God. No, that's not what this story is about. In, Genesis, in uh, uh, Luke 24, Jesus says, he reminds us that all the writings, all the prophets find their fulfillment in me. One grand, one wonderful, one beautiful story. Now, does that mean that everything we read, we look for Jesus in any nook and cranny? Does that mean that in every Old Testament text, we look under every rock to find Jesus? No, don't do that. Don't do that. But what that does mean is that when we come to Scripture, especially in Genesis, as we're reading these incredible stories, we need to realize that it is one grand and one wonderful story that culminates in the work in the person of Jesus Christ. That's what this is. Scripture, the Old Testament, points us forward to the work of Jesus Christ. The New Testament points at and back to the, the person and work of Jesus Christ. The story of Scripture starts with God himself, it's a story of God redeeming a people for Himself, and it ends with God ruling and reigning. This is the grand story of Scripture. Now, here's why this is important as we approach Genesis, and I'm going to start with a weird analogy. Hang with me. We will get to our text. I promise. Um, one of the ways… That we can grow in our ability to take what we're reading, the little story that we read, and to be able to fit it into the big story. I mean, that's one of the most incredible tasks that we have as people who read God's Word. How does what I'm reading fit into the whole? How does this story fit into the big story, right? One of the ways that we can grow in our ability to do that is, this is going to sound like rocket science here, read the Bible more often. Duh. Read the Bible more often. But I want to push on this because not only that, I want to put before you a crazy idea to read it all the way through. Now, here's the crazy analogy I was warning you about. I want you to imagine your favorite series on Netflix. I mean a series, not just a movie, I mean a series. What is your favorite show on Netflix? Get it in your head, and I want you to imagine that over the next six months, Over the next six months, I want you to imagine watching it only five to six minutes a day. Five to six minutes. and and, and Enjoy those five to six minutes. Watch those. It's almost like you're getting to where a commercial break would be, and then you push pause, and it has a resume the next day, all right? Five to six minutes, that's it. Push the pause button. Enjoy the whole series. Now, that's one way to watch Netflix, That's certainly one way to do it. I want to compare that now with another method that has been called binge watching. Some of you are laughing because you're guilty, right? Binge watching. Now, take that same series and let's imagine you have your favorite series. I want you to imagine that you take off of work. Some of you might need three days off. Staycation. You get childcare for those who need it. Your your refrigerator is stocked, and you close the windows, and you get a wonderful and comfortable blanket on your couch, and you start season one, episode one, and you just binge watch the entire thing. You just watch the entire thing unfold. Some of you are like, that sounds awesome. Sign me up for that. Um, That's another way to enjoy your favorite, your favorite show. Here's why I bring this analogy up. You and I would get totally different experiences approaching your Netflix show in both of these ways. See, on, when you're watching five or so minutes a day, you're gonna notice the small things, you're gonna enjoy the small things, you're not gonna not enjoy your show, you're gonna enjoy these small things, you're gonna enjoy the details, you're gonna sneak it in here and enjoy kind of it on a micro level. And you're going to enjoy it. However, there is just something about a good binge. A good binge watch. There's just something good about that. When you just take the entire show. And you just immerse yourself in it. And you get it from start to finish. You're spanning ten years. Right? When you can just do that in this moment, you see the big picture. Now, I believe that when it comes to our Bibles, that the majority of us only have ever experienced the five to six minutes a day of Netflix watching. Which is great. Which is, we all need more of that. I want to encourage all of us to watch five to six, no, to read five to six minutes. Like, that's wonderful. Let's grow in that, right? That's, that's wonderful. Wonderful. There is something that's just really good about a, bit, a, a good binge watch. Church, there's something really good about a good binge read. So I'd like to challenge you to something. I want to challenge you to binge read your Bible. This is probably the least attractive challenge you're ever going to get from a pulpit. And I don't care. I, like This is going to be awesome. So here's, here's the challenge. For the next 90 days... For the next 90 days, or shorter if you'd like, I want to challenge you to read your Bible cover to cover. Um, it's not much. It amounts to about 30 minutes of reading a day, which is a commitment, and I know you're busy. I know, I know it's a commitment. I know there is going to be days when that's just, ugh, to do. I, I get it. I know it. But wow, is it worth it. About five years ago, maybe six years ago, my wife and I did a 30-day challenge that experience, it was a commitment, but it has stuck with me and marked me ever since because there are things that stand out that never stood out before. So I'm calling this the Binge Read Challenge, where we cover our Bible as a church in 90 days. Now, if you were to text that number, text Binge to 210 um, 880 It'll send you the plan that I'm reading. There's nothing magical about the plan that I'm doing. Oh, by the way, I cheated. I am on day six. I started this last week. But I'd love some binge-watching friends. But if you text this, then what I'm doing will come to your phone, and you can just join in, and we can spur each other on. You chew through it pretty quick. Um, But I encourage you. I encourage you. Think about it. Think about taking the challenge. And let's binge-read our Bible together as, we, as our story begins in Genesis. All right, that's enough. Let's dive in now. I told you I would get there. Let's dive into our text this morning, and, and before we do, I want to pray that God would open our eyes to the grand story that's unfolding. So as we turn our hearts to the text, would you, would you join me in prayer? Lord, we thank you for your word, and we pray that you would open our eyes to see To see not only the little picture, but Father, would you open our eyes to see your grand plan unfolding right before us. Lord, we thank you that you have a plan to redeem us. And God, would you just open our eyes to that this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so we get the privilege of looking at and meeting a man named Abram this morning. I want us to pick up in chapter 12 of Genesis. We'll look at verse 1. Now, there had been ten generations, ten generations that separated Noah and Abram. Ten generations. So, as our scripture reveals, as history reveals, we we see clearly that humanity was on this consistent path away from God. We saw it play out in Babel. We saw that it was it was dispersed the construction progress or process stopped but unfortunately even though the construction of the tower stopped even though the people had been dispersed the heart and the culture of babel lived on through those dispersed people and from some con- just for some context here there has been extensive work done in research of this time period specifically, and specifically in this land called Ur, which was Abram's homeland. Uh, It is clear that Ur at this time was an extremely pagan city. I read a Christian historian said Ur was desolate and barren of the knowledge of the true God. Ur's intrusive pagan religion dominated life from birth to the grave. That was the summary of Ur in this time period, and that was Abraham's world, that was his context, and that was what he was called out of. And for a moment, would you just consider his call? Abram was called by God to leave his home, leave the land he knew. Abram was called by God to leave his people, leave the security of your father's household, leave it. That's what his call. And, and what did God call him to? That's what he called him from. What did he call him to? Well, a vague land that God would show him at some vague time. I, I, I love this. In other words, it was leave what you know and go to what you don't. I don't know if you've ever been there. Um, there, there's an old theologian named John Calvin I love. He sums up God's call to Abram like this. I command you to go forth with closed eyes and forbid you to inquire where I'm about to lead you until, having renounced your country, you shall have given yourself wholly to me. Woo-hoo. This is Abram's call. To put it simply, Abram was asked to simply trust and obey nothing but the word of God to him that was it that was it and he had nothing else it was a it was a call from God and it was accompanied with a promise from God that was it it was obey my word and my promise is good I promise to bless you to bless your people to bless the world through you I promise all of these things but you have to trust And you have to go. Abram's call was a call simply to go in faith. This was a call of faith. For a moment, um, is this not so similar to the call of the gospel for you and I? Is this not exactly the call of Christ in the gospels? I want to go to a couple places in Scripture. You don't have to turn with me here. This was a heavy sermon to prepare because of what I'm about to read. This is the call that Jesus gives to those who would follow him. Jesus says, Matthew 10, 37, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Jesus, they're calling us out. This is... Put down the idols of your life and leave what you know to go to what you don't go. Jesus says in Mark 8:34, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake in the gospels will save it. This is a call yet again, church to go, to go in faith, to follow Jesus. Will you believe Jesus? Will you believe his word? Will you trust him? Now, one of the most incredible texts in all of the Bible about this is Matthew 19. And honestly, church, this is absolutely pivotal for us to understand this morning as we think of Abram's call. Jesus says in in Matthew 19, starting in 16, and behold, a man came up to him and saying, saying, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. To which he said to him, which ones? Which ones? And Jesus said to him, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, the young man turns, hearing all of that, and says to Jesus, all of these I have kept. What do I still lack? Church, would you just listen to this, and God, would you open our eyes to this? Jesus says to him, verse 21, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess, and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Now, what did Jesus just do here? What Jesus did here is call out to this man to come and to follow him. This was a call, an invitation for this man to follow Jesus. What a call. But this was a calling. This was calling this man out of what he knew. Jesus was revealing this man's idols is a better way to say it. You may have honored your father and mother. You didn't kill anyone, but you have an idol. Go sell everything you have. Uh -uh. That was when the rubber met the road and and in this rich young ruler's heart. In other words, I want you to hear me here. This is not a call for everyone who is a follower of Jesus to go and sell everything. That's not what was going on here. Jesus was causing this man to see the thing in his life that he was unwilling to leave. He was calling him to see it. Is this not similar, so similar to Abram's call, church? Leave what you know and follow where I tell you. And I promise that it will be worth it because my promise to you is so good. Here, Jesus tells this rich young ruler, leave what you know and follow me. And I promise that you will have treasure in heaven. I promise it is good. It is worth it. My promise, my word to you is good. Just come and follow me. But here, the rich young ruler counts the cost. And he chose to say no. In other words, he chose err. Now stay. Church, I want you to hear me. And we're going to talk about this a lot this morning. The call to follow Christ is costly. The call to follow Christ is costly. Your call to follow Jesus will cost you something. And I want you to hear me because I don't want us to get this wrong here. Your salvation in Jesus is a free gift of God through Jesus Christ. Your justification before God is through grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone. Your justification was costly Only you didn't pay that cost. Jesus paid that cost. However, hear me. As a follower of Christ, your sanctification, your walk with Jesus, your growth in Christ, that is costly. That will cost you something because God speaks to our heart. He reveals our idols for his glory and for our good. He calls us to take up our cross, to deny ourselves. This is the call. Forsake the old and follow Christ in faith. And he calls us, he calls you with this calling, and he tells us, my promise, the promise, it will be worth it. I promise it will be worth it. But leave in go. Church, I want to say something here, and I need you to hear me. If your, fo- if your call to follow Jesus Christ, if that call cost you nothing, as Scripture reveals, church, it's not Jesus you're following. If our call to follow Jesus Never included this, hey, forsake the old, follow me. Take up your cross, follow me. Deny yourself, follow me. If that was not your call, if your call cost you nothing, it's not Jesus you're following. We are called to step out in faith, to leave what we knew, and to deny ourselves, to sacrifice. The call is costly. You know what it's going to cost? Your idols, going to cost you something, and it's going to cost you something dearly because we have to lay down those idols that we cling to. And Christ shines a spotlight on those idols and says, come, but I promise it will be worth it. Galatians 3 reminds us of that promise of God. He reminds us that it is good. I want you to listen to this. He also reminds us that that good promise is yours. Listen to this. Verse 16, now the promise is made… To Abraham, that's Abram in our story, and to his offspring, it does not say, and to the offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. Now, in verse 25, but now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of us were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek nor slave nor free, there is no male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Church, the call is costly and the promise is good. The call is to faith, and the promise is yours through faith. We'll pick this up, but I want to drop back into Genesis. Let's go to 12, verse 4. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram Abram was 75 years old when he departed Haran. So Ab- Abram went, he trusted, he stepped out at the ripe age of 75 And he trusted that God was sovereign over the unknown. Abraham trusted that God would reveal at great cost he went in faith. Hear me. I don't think we we think about this sometimes, but church, Abram could have said no. Abram could have stayed in her, stayed with what he knew, stayed in his homeland. He could have stayed with his people. He could have stayed with his family. He could have said no to God's call. He could have clung to what was in front of him. Now He might have lived a good and comfortable life in her. In the same way you and I can stay right where we are clinging to what is in front of us, clinging to what we have known, never counting the cost, never stepping out, and we could live a nice and a comfortable life in Stone Oak, Texas. But church, again, the promise is worth it. Christ is worth it. To follow Christ is worth it. I I am convinced that churches are filled with people who believe they can receive all of the promises of God without actually answering the call to follow, without actually coming through faith and without actually counting the cost. I'm convinced that churches are are filled with people who believe that we can just take the promises of God and kind of just staple them on to the end of a selfish life. live the lives we've chosen to live for ourselves and just kind of staple the promises of God to the end of it. I'm convinced that churches are filled with people who believe they can have all the blessings of Christ, call themselves Christ followers without actually following Christ. And my heart breaks as I read texts like Matthew 7, where Jesus says, Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Church. Jesus does not say that to cause us to fear Him. Jesus says this so that we follow Him. So that we follow Him. Church, to say it simply, we deceive ourselves if we think we can follow Christ without actually following Christ. We deceive ourselves. I love the way Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he's one of my favorite historical figures, he says it like this, Christianity without discipleship is always Christianity without Christ. That's just good. Let me, say, let me read this again. Christianity without discipleship is always Christianity without Christ. We deceive ourselves. Now, having said that, I want to be very clear because I want to be very careful. Are we perfect? You can say no. Are we sinless in this? Do we follow perfect? No, neither was Abram, which leads us to continue in our story. Pick up with me in verse 10. Now, there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine, famine was severe in the land. Didn't take long, by the way, church, for his faith to be tested. Some of you might be able to relate to that. How often do you know that to be true? You, you get called to step out and then, whoop, test. Steps of faith are so often accompanied by testing of faith. Abram is so relatable. Faith is so often tested. In verse 11, when he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. Well done, Abram. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Now, you have to read that and go, wow, she must have been really, really good looking. I mean, this sounds like a pickup line that Abram is is giving to Sarai here, but it actually, let's read on, verse 13. Say you are my sister. That it may go well with me because of you. Selflessness right there. And that my life might be spared for, for your sake. And when Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. The plan seemed to work. He had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. And the part about this that's hard is it seems to pay off for Abram here, Um, which I want to address something just really, just real quickly here. Um, There are times in Scripture, especially in narrative, when there are things that are morally questionable, and sometimes even morally terrible. There are sometimes things like that done, and the narrator narrator just won't speak to it. He just won't say anything, not for the positive, not for the negative. He doesn't condone it, but he doesn't condemn it. And you're just left here going, is God okay with this? I mean, is God okay with that? The answer is no. The answer is no. We look to other places in Scripture, and we see clearly God's heart for us with our spouses. We know that selling off our wives as though they were some property for our good and selfish gain, that is not good. We know that. But here in this text, he doesn't, it doesn't speak to it. It just tells us the story. So let me just insert not good. All right. Now we're going to continue. But more than more than that, though, as you look at what just happened, as you look at what just happened, the heart of this was a demonstration of a lack of trust, was it not? We read this. There is no mention that Abram sought God in this situation. Famine hit. Famine hit. Abram was desperate. He was facing a problem. He tried to fix it. He tried to come up with a plan. And at the end of the day, Abram trusted God enough to step out to leave it all, but when a problem faced him, he didn't seek God, and he failed to trust God in this time of famine and test. Instead, he took things into his own hands. Now, two things here I want, uh, I want us to see. Abram's quick relapse here points us to two things for us to understand. One, so often our tendencies as followers of Christ when we encounter problems is to strategize and to plan and to and to make plans and to try to do things. Act on our own. In other words, as, as foolish as this sounds, we fully trust God with the destiny of our eternal souls, but so often we fail to trust Him with the day to day. That's just too too much or too little for Him, and so what we here's what I want us to see here, church. The faith by which we are saved is also the faith by which we live. The faith that saved us is, is the faith that we live by as his followers. And for some of us, as we read the story of Abram, he was called out, promised by God, and then he acts like a fool. And for some of us, we read that and we think, well, that's me. <laughs> that's That's me. You might be here this morning and you might be in that moment right now. This might be you for those in Christ, for those called and for those promised. I just want to... The faith that saved you is perfectly sufficient for what you're encountering today, for what you're encountering this week. Imagine if, if we together would trust God with our lives as much as we trust Him with our future destiny in heaven. Imagine if we would trust and follow Christ, not just trusting in Him for our salvation, but when struggles and trials come into our lives. Imagine if we as God's people first, before we made the plan, before we strategized, we went straight to Him, ran first to Christ. Yes, we plan. Don't you? I'm a planner. Plan. Just make that step two. If we came to him first, if, if, like with Abraham facing a famine, if he would have come to God first and trusted, instead he takes things into his own hands and he sells his wife off to benefit himself. Abram is so relatable. The second thing that we see here, church, and this is really huge, the sin of Abram didn't change God's calling of Abram or revoke God's promise to Abram. It didn't even take a chapter for Abram to act a fool, but God didn't say, never mind. We don't see that here. See, Abram was called by God, given a promise by God, and that promise, that calling was not based on Abram's performance or success, and therefore it was not revoked based on Abram's performance and failure. That's good news for us. That is really good news. Abram's calling and promise was based on God's faithfulness. And hear me, as we talked about at the beginning, it was based on a really big and beautiful and wonderful story of Scripture, and Abram was a part God is at the center of his story, and God called, and God promised, and as Abram fails here, guess what? It's God who intervenes. Let's finish this out in verse 17. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. That stinks. It's not fair. So, Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this you have done to me? Why did you tell me that she why why did you tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister? So that I took her for my wife. These are legitimate questions. Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. So here, God intervenes. He he has a plan, and here he steps in, he provides, he protects, because his plan was not going to be stopped. And Abram's sin and his foolishness, it did not change God's calling, and it did not revoke God's promise in church for those of us who are in Jesus Christ for those who are followers of Christ for those of you who have placed your trust in Jesus Christ your sin does not change your calling your sin does not change you're calling. God has called you to himself through Jesus Christ. He has adopted you and brought you into the family of God. He has called you to himself, redeemed you, called you out of this world, called you into his mission. God has called you, and your sin has not changed that. It has not changed that. More than that, your sin, it does not negate God's promises to you. It doesn't. The cross of Jesus Christ is enough It is enough, and your sin is made powerless through the cross. Therefore, the promise to you, God's promise to you for life abundantly and eternal, God's promise to you of sending his spirit to indwell you, God's promise to you to save you and sanctify you, God's promise to you of resurrection in heaven, God's promise to you is secure through Jesus Christ. Your sin does not change God's call, nor does it revoke God's promise church, that is really good news for all of us who can relate to Abram. That is really good news for some of us here. You might need to hear that. Your sin was perfectly and completely handled in Jesus Christ, so follow Christ and know that His promise is yours. That's the gospel call. Now, And hear me, as we close this morning, if you are here and you are not yet a follower of Jesus, if you're here and as I read those texts where Jesus said, this is what it's like to follow me, if as I read that, those texts just seem kind of crazy and radical and foreign to you, and if you're here and you have not trusted Christ like that, I mean, sure, you, you go to church, you're here. Sure, you may mark Christian on your, as your religious affiliation. But you're here, and you have never trusted Jesus like that. As my Lord and my Savior, I have not followed him. Hear me, God's call to you this morning is just like Abram's. No one comes who isn't first called. And my plea this morning is that you would hear the call. That you would hear the call and that in faith that you would go, you would leave what you know and that you would leave all that you have known and in faith that you would go, that you would come to Christ, that you would follow him. And as you place your trust in Christ, I want you to hear me. You are heirs. You are heirs of God's promise and his promise is so good. His promise is worth it. Okay. Nothing will take it away. From you, No matter who you are this morning, no matter what you have done, no matter what you did this morning before you came into this room, no matter what, no matter who, again, Galatians 3 says it like this, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free there is no male or female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Church, would you bow your head with me and let's let's pray together. God, we are so grateful as we get to see the beautiful plan unfolding, the big picture unfolding through Scripture, that you're not a God content in leaving us in our sin, but that you're a God who chose to step in, that you're a God who has a beautiful plan of redemption. We know that this that the scripture does not orbit around us, but we know that through Jesus Christ, we are yours. And we just thank you for that. We thank you for the promise. And Lord, as we consider how you called Abram out, and as we consider the promise you gave Abram, God, would you help us as we consider the fact that we have been called and that for those who have been called, there is a promise. Would you give us the courage to look at Jesus' words in the Gospels as Jesus sets out before us what it looks like for us to be followers of him? Would you give us the boldness and the courage to step out as imperfect as we are, as sinful as we are, Your grace, your mercy is enough, but your call is to go. It's to step out in faith. Would you give us the courage to step out in our lives? Lord, as uncomfortable as this prayer is, would you shine your spotlight and illuminate the idols in our life? Just as you did with the rich young ruler? Would you highlight for us, would you spotlight for us the things that you are calling us to put down so that we can enjoy life abundantly in you? Would you shine your light? Would you convict us through your spirit this morning? Would you reveal our idols so that we can put them down and follow? And Lord, as we are about to sing together, We have one strong and one perfect plea as we come before your throne, and it is not based on us or our goodness. It is based completely and only on Jesus Christ, and we stand on him this morning, and Lord, we follow after. So, Lord, we continue and we worship you this morning in Jesus' name.